Hi, this is Jeannie Drisco bringing you an episode of the Art and Soul of Healing. Today, we will be returning to detoxification and look at the role of heavy metals in toxicity and how to assess for heavy metals and chelate them out of the body. There is a delicate balance of hormones that guide the combining of cells that spring to life and progress to birth. This orchestration of life is easily disrupted by heavy metals, plastics, and other chemicals, and its effects are expressed through the endocrine system. The endocrine system, the hormonal system, guides conception, implantation, placental growth, and timing of delivery. Since we are focusing on heavy metals today, we will look at specifically what this exposure does. Exposure to heavy metals can lead to infertility, poor birth outcomes, preterm birth problems, preeclampsia, and delayed growth in children after birth. Other effects of heavy metal exposures that are well known include neurologic cell death, loss of IQ points in children, endothelial cell dysfunction leading to hypertension and cardiac disease, kidney disorders, autoimmune disease like autoimmune thyroiditis. These are just a handful of the myriad of biochemical and physiologic abnormalities that result from heavy metal poisoning. You heard about some of the heavy metals in the introduction section of part one. Now we will visit testing for heavy metals to assess body burden and learn about chelation approaches for removing heavy metals in a safe manner. This has to be done with a professional trained in chelation therapy. If chelation therapy is something that's recommended to you, please question the provider and find out where they received their training and if they belong to an organization like the American College of Advancement in Medicine, ACAM.org, or International College of Integrative Medicine, or naturopathic environmental health groups. Chelation is not something to be undertaken with someone who is not an expert. Join me in exploring testing for heavy metals and the approach of detoxification of heavy metals. Let me begin this session by discussing a patient that we saw in our clinic a number of years ago. This was a 45-year-old female executive who presented with fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue. She gave a history of playing with liquid mercury after a mercury-containing thermometer broke. She also wore contact lenses from the age of 14 and used contact lens solution, which contained thimerosal. She also had 14 amalgams, those silver fillings that are known to be tin and mercury-containing. The initial amalgams were removed, but not by a biologic dentist. And a biologic dentist is someone who's trained in the safe removal of mercury amalgams. The remainder were appropriately removed, however, protecting her and the dentist removing the fillings. The patient received urine collection both before and after oral chelation challenge. The results of the pre-oral chelation challenge showed minimal amounts of arsenic and mercury in the sample. However, the post-chelation challenge urine collection showed significant amounts of mercury being excreted in the urine, along with some arsenic, lead, nickel, and tin. 
in spite of the fact that the patient had already had her amalgams removed before she came to our clinic, it was concerning that she continued to excrete a large amount of mercury in the urine. This highlights the fact that even with removing the source, some of the heavy metals remain in the soft tissues and the bones, depending on which heavy metal it is, and cannot be easily assessed without adequate challenge. We will come back to this case in a bit after we discuss heavy metal testing. There are a variety of chelators used for the post-chelation urine challenge collection. The first is ethylene diamine tetracetic acid or EDTA. It's used primarily as an intravenous solution. I'll tell you more about the history of EDTA in a little bit. The second is 23 dimercaptosuccinic acid, or DMSA, and this was developed later in the 1960s. The third chelator in wide use is dimercaptopropane-1-sulfonate, or DMPS. This was developed in Russia and can be used both IV and orally. However, it is not approved in the United States by the FDA as a chelator. It is available through compounding pharmacists who take the powdered form of DMPS and reconstitute it for use, either IV or oral. These three chelators, EDTA, DMSA, and DMPS, are widely used in the integrative medicine practice for chelation therapy. Let's turn our attention now to blood and urine tests that are routinely performed for evaluation of exposures to heavy metals. The blood and urine tests are routinely performed by classically trained toxicologists to search for acute exposure to heavy metals. This type of testing is valuable for documenting current acute exposure as may be seen in industrial poisoning cases, but it is of limited value in assessing the total body burden from chronic exposures. Blood urine, or hair analysis for heavy metals are poor surrogates for heavy metal body burden from chronic exposures. And what's also important to understand is that heavy metal testing provided by conventional labs gives reference ranges for each based on internal standards from their own clientele and are constantly being updated over time. Until recently, these labs had no national data points to utilize when setting internal reference ranges for heavy metals on their tests. The Centers for Disease Control, the CDC, has accumulated a significant database analyzing United States residents and determining the average burden of toxic compounds. These reports are available online at cdc.gov forward slash exposure report all one word. It is from the wealth of these data that more accurate ranges for blood and urine levels are available to evaluate heavy metal burden from acute exposures, not from chronic exposures or from post-chelation administration urine collection. With a long-term or chronic exposure, the heavy metal builds up in the soft tissues and or the bone, and therefore it's not available in the circulation. It is generally recommended that a non-chelator challenged collection of urine or blood be obtained at baseline. This is before the administration of a chelator, and that's to determine if there's an acute exposure that needs to be removed and addressed 
such as in the case of mercury where there's ongoing contaminated fish consumption, for example. If one would directly undergo a chelator-challenged urine collection without the baseline non-challenge assessment, potential acute ongoing exposures might be overlooked while the patient is being treated for chronic exposure with chelation therapy. And I think I need to add right now that it goes without stating that the clinician needs to take an accurate heavy metal exposure history from the patient prior to any type of testing. I also want to reemphasize, as we discussed last time, that evaluation of the kidney function is imperative because you're going to be giving a chelator and flushing heavy metals out the kidneys into the urine, so it's important that the kidneys are functioning well. It is also important to emphasize that the American College of Medical Toxicology, that's the group of classically trained toxicologists, they have issued a position statement in disapproval of the use of post-challenge urinary metal testing in clinical practice. And they go on to say that the use of such test results as an indication for further administration of chelating agents should be avoided. However, this is not in common practice in integrative and functional medicine practitioners' offices that use chelation therapy. And again, it's because without the use of a provocation with a chelator, you will not be able to determine what's coming out of the soft tissues or the bone. Traditionally, a flushing dose of DMSA can be given orally by using 500 milligrams three times a day for three days with the urine being collected on the third day in the morning. DMPS, again, is not recommended because it's not FDA approved, but is usually given at three milligrams per kilogram of body weight as an intravenous infusion. After the challenge test is returned, you can determine if the patient has a burden of heavy metals that are elevated, moderate, or slight. But again, I want to emphasize that these reference ranges are not associated with a urine challenge with a chelator. They're only for non-chelator-challenged urines. In our clinic, we established a routine amount of DMSA to be given over a specific period of time with the urine collection subsequently. Then this was repeated as the patient was chelated for the heavy metal and the patient acted as their own standard. So let's return to our case of the woman that was poisoned with mercury from likely her mercury amalgams. She had a very elevated level of mercury. We approached her chelation very systematically with a specific number of days on and off the chelator with periodic urine collections intervening. Also very careful assessments of minerals because chelators are known to not only take out heavy metals, but also those precious minerals that the body needs. We took a very slow course. It took a long time, probably nine months, to get all of this mercury out of the patient. And likely we didn't remove it all, but we reduced it down to a very low level. And what we found over time is as the mercury reduced, the arsenic level came up. And that's because the chelator has a higher affinity for mercury than arsenic. So as you remove one of the heavy metals, sometimes the chelator is more available to remove other heavy metals. So you have to watch for that as well. 
The patient reported that she had much more clarity of thinking, less brain fog in the parlance, and had more energy. We also followed carefully the mitochondrial function, the urinary organic intermediates, to make sure that the heavy metals weren't damaging the mitochondrial function and supported those pathways as well. The word chelation is derived from the Greek chile, C-H-E-L-E, that means a pincher or the grabbing by claws of a crab or a lobster. As such, it's recognized that certain types of chemicals can effectively grab and bind metals and minerals, and thus the term chelation arose to describe the incorporation of this metal ion into this chelator, into this heterocyclic ring structure. There are many types of chelators with wide-ranging chemical structures and differing affinities for metals and minerals. And they not only come from pharmaceutical compounds, but from naturally occurring food sources and natural products. And I'll tell you about some of those in a minute. The word chelation is really a nonspecific word, and it doesn't mean any one particular compound or chemical, but it just defines this reaction that occurs between this metal and this complexing agent. So don't confuse chelation therapy with just one chelator, for example, EDTA. EDTA was first used in Germany in the 1930s in the textile industry, and what they were trying to do was remove calcium from the batch during the dye process. In the 1940s, several physicians discovered the biological effects of EDTA on calcium in the human body. And this led uh, to a laboratory use as an anticoagulant. You still find EDTA added to blood tubes to prevent blood clotting. So the FDA eventually gave approval for EDTA use in humans with lead poisoning uh, by using calcium EDTA. And in those patients that had hypercalcemia, they've approved the use of disodium EDTA. There were reports in the 40s and 50s that patients receiving calcium EDTA for lead poisoning also showed improvements in cardiovascular status. And this is where integrative medicine practitioners took a divergent path from conventional toxicologists. These integrative practitioners began suggesting that the regular use of EDTA chelation therapy might be beneficial for cardiovascular disease. And that's being currently studied at this time in uh, large NIH-funded studies. I won't discuss those studies now because of the time constraints, but certainly if anyone's interested, they can contact me at the Art and Soul of Healing website, and I will be able to point to papers that can be instructive in understanding this further. The second chelator that I mentioned was DMSA, and this was developed in the 1960s from an older chelator that had fallen out of favor because of its toxic profile. It had been initially proposed for use in arsenic poisoning, but it was found out that it was able to treat a broad range of toxic heavy metals such as lead, arsenic, and mercury. Because it's so effective at removing a broad range of heavy metals, it's been proposed that it replace EDTA as a chelator of heavy metals. The third chelator discussed previously was DMPS, and as stated, 
it is not FDA approved and therefore I will not discuss its use in detail. These three chelators are really considered pharmaceutical preparations and should be obtained through a practitioner that is expert in administration. What's available over-the-counter? What are the over-the-counter chelators? And it's not uncommon to find EDTA capsules for oral administration or rectal administration on the internet. While it is well known that this is a powerful chelating agent when given intravenously, especially for lead, maybe not so much for the other heavy metals, oral use of EDTA has not been validated. Pharmacokinetic studies of oral EDTA have really not been undertaken. It is well documented that EDTA is only marginally absorbed from the GI tract. The FDA needed to step in and remove these products from the market because they were claiming to chelate heavy metals when used orally or inserted rectally, when in effect there was no evidence of that being for this effect. So consumers, please beware that the use of oral or rectal EDTA has probably no benefit in the removal of heavy metals. Heavy metals are known to bind to those sulfhydryl groups in the soft tissues. Therefore, products containing that sulfhydryl chemistry would be very beneficial in chelating as well as acting as free radical scavengers. And examples include N-acetylcysteine or NAC, taurine, the amino acid taurine, alpha-lipoic acid, melatonin, and other natural agents. So these products have potential to remove heavy metals from the biologic systems, quench free radicals, regenerate other antioxidants, and excrete the heavy metals without redistribution into the soft tissues. What's interesting about N-acetylcysteine or NAC is, is that it's a precursor for glutathione. Of interest, NAC appears to have chelating activity in acute heavy metal poisoning and in fact has been shown to be more effective than EDTA or DMSA by increasing urinary excretion of lead and chromium. There was one animal study that combined NAC with oral DMSA and it reduced arsenic-related oxidative stress. So this type of research is only just beginning to find out what over-the-counter natural products could be combined with traditional chelators. Another natural product that I'm very fond of is glutathione, and reduced glutathione is found in high concentrations throughout the body. It plays a major role in detoxification as well as free radical scavenging protects us from the free radical damage. Glutathione is known to be a carrier of mercury as well as an antioxidant with specific roles in protecting the body from mercury toxicity. Glutathione targets and binds methylmercury, preventing it from binding to other cellular proteins, which results in organ damage. Glutathione also prevents mercury from entering the intracellular environment, the inside of the cell, and becoming an intracellular toxicant. Glutathione can be administered orally, but it's known to be poorly absorbed. So recently it's been delivered in a liposomal package to protect it against digestion and improve its absorption. Of course, in our clinic, one of its favorite delivery methods was 
intravenously. Another over-the-counter product are the flavonoids or bioflavonoids. They're available through seeds, fruits, flowers, vegetables, beverages, and as supplements. They have a reputation as regulators of physiologic processes that, it, that really reduce inflammation and reduce immune overreactions. They also have interesting anti-tumor properties and vasodilatation properties. But because of their interesting ring structure, flavonoids may also act to sequester heavy metals separate from their antioxidant properties. Two of my favorite amino acids are taurine and methionine, and they're sulfur-containing amino acids. They are known to have a role in decreasing oxidative stress. But when taurine is added to DMSA orally, it can be helpful in reducing the total body burden of arsenic and lead. We routinely used methionine and taurine in our clinic when detoxifying patients because of their central role in the methyl cycle and in the production of bile. Another important over-the-counter product is alpha-lipoic acid. And it's known to regenerate such things as glutathione, vitamin C, and vitamin E. And it seems to have therapeutic potential in the treatment of uh, metal-induced oxidative stress. But another very important attribute of alpha-lipoic acid is its metal chelating activity. It has been known to readily absorb into the intracellular environment inside the cell and can form complexes with metals that were previously found to be bound to other sulfhydro-containing proteins in that intracellular environment. Alpha-lipoic acid can cross the blood-brain barrier where it readily binds with lead and mercury. It should be cautioned, however, that it may redistribute those metals. So even though it picks up the metal, it may also drop it and allow it to be redistributed in other soft tissues. So that's a little bit of a caveat. Alpha-lipoic acid has been administered both orally and by IV roots, and there haven't really been any significant reports of toxicity. It seems to be relatively safe and has been administered up to 1,200 milligrams intravenously and orally up to 1,800 milligrams with really no reports of significant adverse effects. But of course, this needs to be studied further. Other critical over-the-counter products that must be used during chelation therapy include selenium, magnesium, zinc, and calcium because chelation therapy has an effect on the blood chemistry of these very important minerals. In conclusion, I would like to talk about three over-the-counter products that have been used as chelators. The first is a modified citrus pectin, or MCP. It's a nutritional supplement, and it's derived from the inner peel white pulp of citrus fruit. It has been proposed that MCP is able to bind heavy metals and eliminate them without eliminating essential biological minerals, the other uh, zinc, magnesium, etc. One postulated mechanism of action of heavy metal binding by MCP appears to be related to the passive binding with decreased absorption of heavy metals in the GI tract. Investigators have suggested that binding of MCP and heavy metals is 
in the bloodstream with subsequent direct chelation of heavy metals and elimination of the metal pectin complex in the urine. I must caution you, though, that there really haven't been any human studies. There's only been case reports. But it's a very relatively safe product, and we've used it in children when we needed to do very slow and non-toxic chelation. We have also used MCP in adults that seem to have high lead burdens, high heavy metal burdens, but were exquisitely sensitive to pharmaceutical chelators and needed a very safe, slow approach. Can be safely given in divided doses throughout the day for extended periods of time without reports of significant adverse events. Another over-the-counter product includes the blue-green algae such as spirulina and chlorella. Unfortunately, there really isn't any human clinical trial evidence to support its use. How it's been recommended is really inference from industrial applications when it was used in polluted water and toxic site cleanups. Limited animal studies have shown that when there's arsenic toxicity, there's downregulation of immunotoxicity. And in cadmium-exposed rats, chlorella appears to protect against cadmium-induced liver toxicity. Also cautioned that arsenic can be found in naturally occurring dietary supplements such as algae. And that's because of its inherent chelating ability and the widespread distribution of arsenic in the Earth's crust. So, caveat emptor. The final chelator is a family of zeolites, and these are naturally occurring compounds, and they have aluminum complexes at the center with silicate-containing minerals. Most of these zeolites are formed by changes that occur in volcanic rocks when they come in contact with fresher seawater. There's this interesting three-dimensional structure with the aluminum, and it's suggested that this structure is what is able to bind with certain things such as lead, cadmium, zinc, and manganese. The most common use of zeolites is industrial for removal of heavy metals during purification and water management, but really there is no real human clinical trial data to support the use of zeolites on a regular basis. I would like to discuss another case to highlight what we've been talking about. The patient is a 59-year-old male with long-standing metabolic syndrome with dyslipidemia, hypertension, truncal obesity, and borderline elevated glucose. He had a history of having a stent placed in the coronary vessels three years prior. The patient also had a diagnosis of prostate cancer two years prior to his visit, but was currently without evidence of disease at the time of his visit. There was a history of long-standing irritable bowel syndrome with constipation predominant. The patient visited the University of Kansas Medical Center, KU Integrative Medicine Clinic, to discover a better approach for his chronic disorders through diet and lifestyle interventions. Laboratory assessment revealed the need for micronutrients and he was referred to the KU Integrative Medicine Clinic dietitian for the management of his poor quality diet and food hypersensitivity. In the course of the patient's workup, it was discovered he had been a lifelong hunter and had been taught as a young man to reload his shotgun shells with pellets. As a result, he had significant long-term exposure to lead and antimony. 
other toxic exposures elicited were related to multiple amalgam fillings, many of which were placed in early adolescence, and these had not been replaced in the ensuing years in spite of fractures and deterioration of the silver fillings. The patient had also been exposed to secondhand tobacco smoke in his childhood, but did not smoke himself. An unprovoked urine collection was obtained for heavy metal analysis, which showed significantly elevated levels of lead, uranium, nickel, and cadmium. Antimony and mercury levels were elevated, but not outside the reference ranges. Subsequently, oral DMSA was administered and a urine sample was collected six hours post-chelator administration. This showed markedly elevated lead and mercury levels with elevated antimony, cadmium, nickel, and thallium levels. There was no evidence of uranium in the second post-chelator sample. The patient was placed on a chelation schedule with oral DMSA with frequent laboratory testing for minerals such as zinc that were removed during the chelation process and ongoing periodic checks of excreted heavy metals in the urine. The patient was supplemented with a mineral complex to support any deficiencies that occurred while undergoing DMSA chelation. Micronutrients that were deficient in the outset were also replaced, and those were followed by serial laboratory testing to ensure adequacy. In addition, it was emphasized to the patient that he drink plenty of water to flush the chelator heavy metal complexes through the kidney and to encourage daily bowel movements for the elimination of heavy metal complexes via the bowel. Renal function remained normal throughout the chelation period. Other supportive nutritional supplements included green tea extract for bioflavonoids, oral liposomal glutathione, oral vitamin C, a whole foods diet with plenty of cruciferous vegetables, juicing, and cilantro supplements. He was encouraged to add forms of lymphatic drainage with rebounding on a mini trampoline, skin brushing, and infrared sauna. Over time, the very high lead and mercury levels began to clear with some increase in cadmium and antimony levels related to the decreasing competition for binding by DMSA. The patient chose highly filtered water, and uranium did not reappear with time. DMSA chelation was terminated when the last challenge urine collection was found to have only negligible amounts of heavy metals. This occurred over a six-month period. With dietary changes and weight loss, micronutrient support, and chelation therapy, the metabolic syndrome cleared with normalization of blood pressure, dyslipidemia, and borderline elevated glucose level. His irritable bowel syndrome was no longer a problem. The patient's therapy was multi-pronged approach that resulted in an overall improvement, but the chelation was important because of the well-known cardiovascular adverse effects from heavy metals that could result in ongoing untoward effects if not addressed. This case is instructive for several reasons. First, Uranium was present in the initial unchallenged sample, but not evident after DMSA challenge was given. This tells us that there was an acute exposure of uranium, and this most likely occurred from his water source. 
as it can be fairly ubiquitous in drinking water. There are two explanations for why it was not present in the post-challenge urine. Either the patient was no longer exposed to the water source during the follow-up, and hence no acute ongoing uranium exposure, or, more likely, DMSA because of its very strong affinity for lead and mercury and low affinity for uranium preferentially bound the lead and mercury. With the very high levels of lead and mercury in the post-chelation sample, the chelator was saturated with heavy metals and unlikely to bind the uranium because of the lower affinity. In any event, the patient was counseled about checking his water source for uranium. Another important point is the initial unchallenged urine collection excretes heavy metals that are only available from the bloodstream and not from body stores. This may occur when there is turnover of bone with a release of lead, or it may occur when there is breakdown of amalgam dental work with release of mercury and tin into the circulation. Another consideration is that heavy metals may come from acute exposure such as food, tobacco use, hobbies, and or work exposures. Careful patient questioning about diet and lifestyle habits is imperative. I'd like to summarize now by just restating that the role of chelation therapy for heavy metal intoxication is well established and supported in the scientific literature. There's classically trained toxicologists, and they usually address the effects of acute metal toxicity and treat with chelation therapy when certain rigid testing parameters are followed. But the integrative practitioners of chelation are less rigid, including the use of provoked urine evaluation, as we discussed. And this is not approved by the classical toxicologists. The use of FDA-approved chelators, such as EDTA and DMSA, are used by both groups. However, some practitioners promote off-label use of EDTA for cardiovascular disease, which is currently being studied, and routinely use the non-FDA-approved chelator DMPS. Thank you for joining me today on this journey to discover what heavy metals are and how to approach detoxification with chelation, supplementation, and dietary and lifestyle changes. And thank you to the Alliance for Natural Health USA for standing in the gap for our health freedoms so that these types of therapies are available to all of us. Go to alliancefornaturalhealthusa.org today and become a member.